You guys can grab a seat. You can sit down at home too, home church. Sit down. Sit down and be quiet. I recently had a baby, so I feel like I could say it now. I'm like, man, I always wanted to kind of tell my kid to be quiet. Now I get to. He'll need therapy. It's fine. It's fine, guys. Hey, uh, if you have a copy of your scriptures with us, it will also be on the screens. We're going to be in Exodus 20, verse 14, also John 8 this morning, Exodus 20 and John 8. We've been walking our way through, uh, we've walked out of our Priesthood of Believers series and then have walked into a series on what does it mean to be a priest? How do I now live uh, since God has called me one of those? And um, as God's people, how are we to exist in His world? And we know that in the Ten Commandments, God has given us kind of a structure and a framework uh, that says this is sort of the recipe for human flourishing, uh, is to do what's on this list. And on top of all that, you're actually not going to be able to do it. Uh, and so we, we now have this law in front of us. The law points us to Jesus, uh, who, uh, who satisfies the demands of the law for us. And then Jesus, as he has redeemed us, points us back to the law to say, this is how you now live. And so God's people are marked by certain distinctives that are going to be different than the world. Uh, and so this morning, we're going to look at um, God's plan for sexuality and what does that look like for us. Uh, so we're going to start Exodus 20 and then John 8, 1 through 11. So let's uh, give our attention this morning to the reading of God's holy word, starting in Exodus 20, verse 14. You shall not commit adultery. And then John 8, 1 through 11. But Jesus went to the Mount of Olives, and at dawn he appeared again in the temple courts where all the people gathered around him, and he sat down to teach them. The teachers of the law and the Pharisees brought in a woman caught in adultery, and they made her stand before the group and, Je and said to Jesus, Teacher, this woman was caught in the act of adultery. And the law of Moses commanded us to stone such women. Now what do you say? And they were using this question as a trap in order to have a basis for accusing him. But Jesus bent down, and he started to write on the ground with his finger. When they kept on questioning him, he straightened up, and he said to them, Let any one of you who is without sin be the first to throw a stone at her. Again, he stooped down and wrote on the ground. And at this, those who heard began to go away one at a time, the older ones first, until only Jesus was left with the woman still standing there. Jesus straightened up and asked her, Woman, where are they? Has no one condemned you? No one, sir, she said. Then neither do I condemn you, Jesus declared. Go now and leave your life of sin. Let's pray together. Father God, we're undone by such mercy, by such kindness that you have bestowed upon us even this morning by allowing the sun to rise once again in the east. And we know that um, unless your sun returns, that the sun will set again tonight in the west. Uh, just ordinary faithfulness from you, ordinary gifts uh, of beautiful days, of, of beautiful people to spend our time with, uh, of kind, uh, loving people of God in this world who have gathered together and said that uh, we are nothing without Jesus. Uh, and so this morning, Father God, let us live that. Holy Spirit, come and invade us. Uh, move us, move our hearts to your son, Jesus, who loves us. And it's in his name we do pray. Amen. Uh, it was the summer after I graduated high school. It was the year 2000. Uh, it was a big year. Y2K was kind of a thing everybody was afraid of. And um, I had taken a job working at this automotive factory, but I didn't start for like two weeks. 
So I had this two-week break between graduating and showing up for work that I was like, I'm just going to kind of live it up a little bit. And so I went to Myrtle Beach. I don't know if you've ever been there. Um, you're missing out. You're actually missing nothing. You're missing getting like pink eye, maybe hepatitis. But uh, you're like, it, it, was, it was terrible. My parents shouldn't have let me go. Um, and then the following week, I was supposed to go to a, a Young Life camp uh, that was in central Virginia. It's a place called Rock Bridge. And uh, I had met my Young Life leader my senior year of high school, and he, he was like begging me to go on this thing. And I was like, man, you're kind of a weirdo. I don't know if I want to do that with you. Um, I would tell these, these, like, these potheads that he was a cop just so nobody would talk to him. Uh, but he was, like, he was like persistent with me. And so he's like, hey, just come. And if you bring like two of your friends, I won't make you pay, which was all I needed to hear. And so uh, we loaded up on this bus, drove up to camp. And he had been selling this place to us like, hey, you've never seen anything as, as pretty as this. And I was like, this is nonsense. But he was right. Like, we get there, and he did not oversell this. Um, and we get off the bus. They're like, like, everything's like freshly manicured. And there are all these people that we don't know. And my friends and I, for some reason, decided, we like made this pact that we were going to get camp girlfriends for the week. Mind you guys, I never had a real girlfriend at this time. And so I don't know why in the two-hour bus ride I got this confidence that I was going to find some stranger and date her, um, but I did. And uh, we got there, and we're walking. We kind of dropped our bags off, and we're walking toward the dining hall. And there's this girl standing there who is the prettiest girl I'd ever seen in my life up to that point. Um, her name was Cassidy. Uh, she is from Bowling Green. And uh, we were going to get married in my head. And... Um, I was like, that's the prettiest girl I've ever seen. Like, I'm going to go, and like, that's going to be my camp girlfriend for the week. And so I went up to her and um, said, hey, and like kind of told some jokes. And she thought they were funny, which was awesome. And, uh, and I was like, oh, man, this is great. And so I, I was trying to pace myself. I didn't want to go in, you know, cannonball. And so like the next day I saw her up in the snack bar. There's going to be a lot, a, a lot of this is going to revolve around places where you get food. Um, I saw her at the snack bar and told her another joke that she thought was funny. And I was like, man, this is great. And so, like, the rest of the week, I'm just infatuated. And uh, we had this square dance, and I was, like, numbering off to make sure that I could, like, touch her hand for just a second um, and just be, you know, transported into heavenly bliss. And I did it, and it was awesome. And then it was, like, the day before we're supposed to leave, I was like, I'm going to go ask this girl if she's going to be my for real girlfriend. We've talked probably a combined 10 or 12 minutes, so that made sense in my head. And so I'm leaving once again the snack bar and uh, going, there's, you like go down these stairs and then there's this huge field and then the pool sits like on the other side. And I saw her walking down from her like cabin where she was staying down the pool and I thought, hey, if I just like nonchalantly get like a, I had a bead on her like a linebacker, like if I could just run and then nonchalantly slide up next to her and make it look like it was just natural, like I just dropped out of the air. Um, and so I don't run fast, and so um, I hop down the stairs, and I get, and there's like this little stream that I have to cross, and I'm like, oh man. But I jump it, and I make it. <laughs> that was a feat in itself. And uh, there's nothing between her and I but like hopes and dreams and about 40 yards of grass. And so I am, uh, I'm now, I'm, I'm slowing down my pace and getting up next to her because I don't want to be out of breath. And so I see her, and I'm just locked in tractor beam. It's as if there's nothing else in the world around me. 
And then all of a sudden, bam, I got hit in the mouth with a Frisbee that had to be going 200 miles an hour. Y'all, I've been hit in fights. I've been hit in football. This thing dropped me to the ground. And it came in sort of at like an angle. And so it hit my mouth, my nose, and my eye. And it, I mean, there's, it looked like Vietnam, bloodbath. And um, there's blood all over my shirt. And I'm just praying, like, I hope she didn't see this. I hope she didn't see this. And she runs over and she goes, oh my gosh, you look so gross. And then she left and I never saw her again. <laughs> and so I was like, this was love and you ruined it. But I'm laying there on the ground. I'm trying to ma regain, like maintain consciousness. And all I hear was, dude, I'm so sorry. It was my Young Life leader, Steve, who had thrown this Frisbee and knocked me out, and I dog-cussed him, y'all. I was like, you ruined love for me. You've ruined my face. Like, you ruined, you gave me a concussion. Like, I'm so mad at you. And Steve was like, he was, he was kind of laughing at me because uh, I was being dramatic. But uh, he said some of the wisest words that have ever been said to me. He was like, look, man, I know it seems like everything's gone wrong, but I promise you it's going to be okay. I know it looks like everything's gone wrong, but I promise you it's going to be okay. When we get to this passage, we have uh, a woman caught red-handed in the act of adultery. Um, imagine the embarrassment of being dragged out uh, of the bedroom and in front of Jesus. She has no excuse. She has no alibi, uh, seemingly no chance as this crowd calls for her death. And it seems like everything's gone wrong for her. It seems like the law says she's supposed to die. She's not making it out of this day alive. Uh, but Jesus is there. And because he's there, it's going to be all right. Because mercy, the mercy of Jesus, always quiets the demands of the law. And because mercy quiets the law's demands, we're set free uh, to leave our lives of sin. Uh, because mercy has come in and been showered upon us, we can now leave our lives of sin. So we're going to have two points and sort of a so what point of application this morning. Uh, we have the roar of the crowd, then the roar of mercy, and so what? So the roar of a crowd, the roar of mercy, and so what? Uh, so if we go uh, in the John passage, which is where we'll be spending all of our time, uh, John opens his passage with Jesus. He's at the temple. Uh, Jesus has gone to church. He's sitting down and he's teaching. And uh, he's here. He's opened up the scrolls and he's talking about uh, the intricacies of the Old Testament, what all that means. He wrote it. It uh, would have been the greatest Bible study probably in the history of the world. And then these Pharisees kind of rush in. It seemed as if, especially in John's Gospels, uh, the Pharisees are kind of at, at every moment where Jesus is teaching, the Pharisees are there, and they're always trying to catch him. They're trying to trap him. And this time, they've got a doozy. Uh, they've caught a woman who, is in adult, who has been caught in the act of adultery. Um, and they bring her right in front of Jesus as he's teaching in the temple. It would be as if this were to happen right now, like a group busts in with a, like a naked woman and brings her to the front of the room. Like it would have been that weird. And they bring her to front, in front of Jesus and they say, Jesus, we've caught her in the act of adultery. The law of Moses says she's supposed to be killed. If you look at Deuteronomy 22, uh, her and the man actually are supposed to both be put to death, but the man wasn't anywhere around. Um, and we're supposed to kill her. What do you say that we do? 
And let's, let's go back for just a second. That there was a law on the books that said she's supposed to be killed if she's caught in adultery. Uh, that, that was sound to us bizarre. Um, but it really is a portrait of when God invented sex and when God brought sex into uh, the universe with Adam and with Eve, um, he found it to be such a big deal uh, that to violate it, uh, there was going to be some serious consequences. And I know this room's too big, your home churches are too big, uh, for there to not be tons of, of sexual misunderstanding. Um, and we look at this and we might say, man, I've been told my whole life, like, sex is bad, it's so bad, you've got to abstain from it unless you're married. It's true, except for the sex is bad part. Uh, these walls were built around it because to God it, it meant something. Um, to God it was such a big deal that it was so powerful that to engage in it outside of uh, the marriage covenant that God has set up um, is so powerful that you can't handle it. Uh, so God puts these walls around it on purpose uh, it'd be like walking around with nitroglycerin in your pocket. Like, at any second, it's going to explode. And in God's economy, it's not, sex is not to be engaged in flippantly because it's bad, but because it's so good. But that isn't why these men are here. Uh, they're not concerned with that. Uh, I'd venture to say they didn't really care about that. What they cared about was trying to catch Jesus in a trap. Um, if we can get Jesus to disagree with Moses then we can bring him up on charges, and then we can shut him up. And we can shut up his followers and all the riffraff. So here's this woman, likely naked, likely embarrassed, likely racked with shame and guilt, and she's being used as a pawn in this sick game that the Pharisees are playing. The man's not there, right? The man didn't care about her. He used her. The Pharisees don't really care about her. They're using her. Uh, so she's being used, and she's brought in front of Jesus, and they're saying, Jesus, if, she dis if you disagree with Moses, then you're saying the law doesn't matter, and we're going to kill you. But if you say yes to that, like you disagree with Moses, or you say, or you actually agree with him, um, then the forgiveness that you speak about isn't really true, and we're going to kill this lady, and we're going to kill her right in front of you. So they've, they've got, they think they've got him. They've got him in a trap. If he agrees with Moses, this woman dies. If he disagrees with Moses, then he dies. And so they have Jesus caught in a trap, and they say, what do you say that we should do, Jesus? And Jesus bends down and starts drawing in the dirt. We don't know what he was drawing. We don't know why he bent down and drawing the dirt. Um, I kind of think this is extra biblical. Don't, don't, go to, don't go to Vegas on this. Um, I'm wondering if he was trying to draw attention away from her. Uh, some folks say he was writing names of people in the dirt. I don't know. It doesn't matter, really. Jesus doesn't fall into their anxiousness. Jesus is always a non-anxious presence. That's the greatest gift you can give somebody, right? Jesus is just sitting there. These guys are screaming at him. There's a naked lady in front of him. Hey, Jesus, do we kill her? What do we do? He bends down and he writes in the dirt. The silence of God is deafening here. And y'all, you know this. You've prayed for stuff and felt like you haven't gotten an answer. The silence of God is not a comfortable place to sit. 
uh, we get squirmy, we get anxious. And so do these guys, right? Jesus, what do we do? What do we do, Jesus? You need to answer me right now. Jesus silently just drawn in the dirt. But he stands up and uh, finally decides to answer them. And he says, hey, let you who is without sin throw the first stone. Let the one who hasn't sinned throw the first stone. And Jesus bends down and he picks up a rock and he smacks her right between the eyes. I'm just kidding, he doesn't do that. But he could, right? Jesus has never sinned. But what he does is he takes the law that these guys are bringing and he's turning the barrels back on them. Because there's a passage back in Deuteronomy 17 in the same book of law that they're using to accuse this woman uh, that says, if you accuse someone and you're guilty of the same crime, then you also will be put to death. And Jesus taught back in Matthew 6, adultery and lust are right there together, right? You've heard it said, do not commit adultery. I tell you, if you look at a woman lustfully, you've committed adultery. These guys heard that teaching. These guys knew that. And then you just hear the rocks start to fall. The old people first, uh, then the young ones. And then it's just her and it's Jesus. And they're just standing there. Um, He had quieted the roar of the crowd. And now the roar of mercy is going to quiet this lady's heart. It's quieted the roar of the crowd. He's shut them up. And now he's going to shut up her heart, her busy heart. Um, The roar of mercy is about to come in. It's going to be our second point. Uh, If we look at verses 10 and 11, the crowd has dissipated. There's going to be no execution today. Um, And John tells us that Jesus and the woman are just standing together. Again, imagine, put yourself in this lady's shoes. Um, You've been brought in front of the crowd, and now you're standing in front of Jesus, uh, with embarrassment and fear and shame, imagine what she would have felt. Uh, Nothing to really hang her hat on to get out of this deal. She's caught in the act of sex with someone she wasn't married to and then forced to stand in front of the creator of the world, Uh, just her and Jesus. Let your mind drift into how you feel in those moments when you've been caught. Uh, Those moments when it's just you and Jesus and you know, oh man, I have no business being here. Uh, it's kind of that twilight zone from when your head hits the pillow to when you fall asleep. Um, those thoughts that come in where Satan will come in and bring you uh, almost in front of Jesus. Imagine standing there with Jesus, the one who wrote the law, the one who knows everything about you, and you're naked and you don't have a shred of evidence to hold up uh, to support your case. Uh, the tension here would have been so thick, would have been so tight And Jesus stands up and he asks her, so does no one condemn you? She replies, no, nobody does. And then he tells her, then neither do I. Go and leave your life of sin. And y'all, if that doesn't light your heart on fire this morning, you need to go do business with Jesus. Uh, Because what Jesus has said here, he never excused her sin. Jesus doesn't go against his own law. But what he does is he brings in mercy that speaks louder. I don't condemn you. Now go and leave your life of sin. Go and live a life um, changed, a life that you can only live after you have that sort of encounter with Jesus that this lady has had. It's the gospel in a perfect summary that if you're connected to Jesus, there's no condemnation for you. I don't care what your sexual history is. 
If you're connected with Jesus, there is no condemnation for you. You're freed to go and lead a life from sin's entanglement. And this is especially true for the sexually broken among us. Because we're all sexually broken. Uh, When Adam and Eve in the garden sinned, the first thing they did was fashioned together some fig leaves and covered up their private parts. Sex and shame and nakedness and shame have been inextricably linked from the beginning of time. Their first response, let's fashion some fig leaves and let's hide. Sexual brokenness is ingrained in us. But here's the thing, Jesus knows it. And Jesus sees it. And he knows everything about you, and he's not running away. Jesus walks into the moment that your sexual shalom, your sexual peace was shattered. Jesus walks into that moment and stands with you and says, you're not condemned. Now go and leave our life of sin. You're not condemned. I love you. You're mine. I've called you mine. You're adopted into my family. You're justified. You're sanctified. You're soon to be glorified. You're with me. And I remember, like, I remember the moment my sexual shalom was shattered. Uh, I was nine years old, and my aunt had this, she was married to this guy named Burton. He's my weird Uncle Burton. That's always what we called him. Um, And weird Uncle Burton was always getting kicked out of his house. And he was kicked out of his house so much that he, he moved into a goat shed on our property. Uh, I'm not even kidding. It was a shed that our goats would like run in and out of. And he went in there, cleaned out like all the goat poop and all the goat hair, and he set up a cot in one of those little tiny box TVs. It was like 12 inches big. And he lived there for a long time. And um, my brother and I would like go hang out. Like we were always like playing in the woods and stuff. But my parents were always like, hey, just don't go into Uncle Burton's goat shed. And we're like, sure. But we wandered into Uncle Burton's goat shed, and uh, under his cot, he had this stack of, like, dirty magazines. And uh, my brother and I would look at them. And I understand why my parents didn't want me to go in my Uncle Burton's goat shed. Because I would give anything to go back to my nine-year-old self and be like, hey, don't go in there. Uh, Because what you see in there can't be unseen. Uh, It can't be undone. You can't undo the damage that has ravaged my mind for the last 29 years ever since I walked into that goat shed. Uh, And you may not have stories that weird or even stories seemingly that innocent. Uh, But there's been a moment uh, that it was shattered for you and you wish desperately that you could just go back and say, please don't do this. Please don't do this. And the question we have to ask is, to who will we turn to compensate for what we're not? Who are we going to turn to to compensate for what we are not? Or you might even be asking, so what? What's the big deal? Like, sex is fun. I'm not going to stop doing it. Or I'm not doing it. I'm fine. Like, I don't have a weird Uncle Burton who lives in our shed. Um, What does this have to do with me? Let's pretend for a second that you have skirted uh, the sexual brokenness line. Uh, The devil still brings you in front of Jesus. Uh, The devil is known in Scripture as the accuser. He still brings you before God. All of us are standing in the cosmic courtroom every moment of our lives, and we can't save ourselves. And the problem is that the devil's right. When we're brought in front of God by the law and says, hey, this guy has violated it, Uh, he's a sinner, the devil's right. We are. 
But there stands Jesus who's not left us alone. And what Jesus offers as we're naked in front of God in all of our shame is that he offers us a covering. Just like way back in uh, the book of Genesis when Adam and Eve are kicked out of the garden, God kills the first thing that's ever killed on earth. He kills an animal uh, and uses its uh, hair and fur and pelt uh, to cover them as they go off. Uh, Jesus always offers us a covering, and he's covered us if we're connected to him in his robe of righteousness, not some ragtag fig leaves that have just been sewn together, but with this indestructible thread of God's mercy that has been extended to you through the life and the death and the resurrection of Jesus. And it's available to us this morning. It's not earned. We can't do anything to get it. We can't jump in line with the Pharisees and start lobbing, throw, lobbing stones rather, uh, at those who have committed adultery. We're the ones who have committed adultery. We're the ones who have gone against God's law and are found guilty. But Jesus is standing there and he says, I do not condemn you. Go and leave your life of sin. If we flip that, we lose the gospel. If we try to live a life without sin so Jesus doesn't condemn us, we lose the gospel. We miss Jesus altogether. It can only come by Jesus saying, you're free, now go and live. Go and live. Go and obey my laws. It's never obey my laws first, and then you're free. And if we think for a second that our sexual brokenness can be healed by just downloading some dumb computer filter, or, or we can wear a purity ring and say we'll never do it again, then we're going to miss Jesus altogether. Jesus enters into our sexual brokenness, not with condemnation, but with an invitation. An invitation to his kingdom because, as this passage shows us, adulterers have a place in the kingdom of God. And that's really good news. It's good news for us because that's what we are. Uh, yet we have a place in the kingdom of God where he calls us his bride, and he has washed us with the water of the word, and he has made us his own. And, but it's only in Jesus that grace is poured out onto our brokenness, and it's only in the midst of Christian community like you're going to experience here, like you experience at your home churches, uh, that you can bring your broken self and find healing and find acceptance. You can bring your broken self and find the Jesus who doesn't condemn you for it. Because all those people, all of us here, we're in the same boat. We've all been found guilty and have been forgiven by Jesus and when it seems that all has gone wrong, only in Jesus has it been made right. Well may the accuser roar of sins that I have done, the old hymn says. I know them all and a thousand more, but Jehovah knows none. I know them all and a thousand more, but Jehovah knows none. The accuser is going to come and say, look at all the sins that you guys have committed. Look at all the sins that Daryl's committed on his way to work this morning. But he doesn't even know the half of it. There's been 10 million more than he can bring. But Jehovah knows none. God knows none of those. He has taken our sin and he has moved it from us as far as the east is from the west. He has forgotten it. He remembers it no more. And he invites us into that. Let's pray together. King Jesus, move our hearts to believe this. Uh, move our hearts that uh, there is more to this world, there is more uh, to our lives than who we voted for, and there's more to our lives than uh, what our home life is like, and that we're not defined by our sexual brokenness, but we're defined by you. 
uh, the one who has walked into it, marched into it willingly, and said, you are not condemned. Go and leave your life of sin. Holy Spirit, teach us what it means to do that. Uh, convict our hearts of those moments in which we are falling into the devil's entanglements, falling into the entanglements of the flesh, and call us back to Jesus, uh, the one who has loved us. Call us to God the Father, the one who has authored and perfected our faith. Call us back uh, to the Trinity where love is known uh, and love is experienced every moment of eternity. Uh, You know us fully, and that scares us, and you love us fully, and that scares us. Uh, But Jesus, we know that it is only in you that we find a safe place, a safe space uh, from the brokenness, that we can walk into it and say, this doesn't define me, but you do. Uh, We love you for that, and it's in your name we do pray. Amen.